Our sermon text this morning comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. If you don't have a, a Bible, you can grab the Pew Bible and go to page 834, 834 this morning. Each week we're picking a famous, uh, usually famous, or at least very major passage of the Bible to try to explain another theme about salvation. Last week we looked at calling, how God calls us through the Word and through the Spirit, internally and externally. And today we're going to look at this idea of being regenerated or born again from this very, I, I might say, maybe the most famous passage in the Bible. You'll see what I mean as I read it. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the Son of Man, who descended from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. 
I'm sure you have an example of a conversation that you've had in your life that you have never forgotten. All of us have those conversations. I, I thought of a few this week. I won't share them with you. I know some of them are maybe a little personal or private, but think about whatever conversation that is that comes to your mind. And There are numerous reasons why a conversation sticks with you. On the one hand, it could be because it was painful. Uh, conversations can be very painful sometimes. They can cause sadness. They can cause anger and frustration. Uh, or a conversation can be very memorable because of how happy it was, how, how joyful it made you, the news that was shared. You'll never forget a day in your life. I mean, those conversations you can go back to and you can remember the words. You can remember the tone of voice. You can remember the, the look in the person's eyes, what they're wearing sometimes. Isn't that vivid? Well, in the Gospel of John, I love this about the Gospel of John. It's, it's only true of this book of the Bible that we get several conversations that Jesus has with individual people told to us. And usually they were private. It was just Jesus and that person, like this conversation. Well, think about that. If it was a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus and only them at night, how did it get into the writing of John? Somebody remembered it. And there are only two candidates, right? Either Jesus remembered it, which I'm sure he did, or, and I think this is probably very likely, Nicodemus never forgot it and never got tired of talking about it. This conversation, which, you know, wasn't, I guarantee you, it wasn't pleasant for Nicodemus at first. <laughs> it probably was a little bit startling at first for Jesus to tell him the things that he tells him. Yet, nevertheless, I think, bore fruit in Nicodemus' life because we see at the end of John's gospel that one of two men to take Jesus down from the cross and care for his body was, guess who? Nicodemus. At the heart of the passage is verse 3. If you'll look at verse 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus repeats the same idea in verse 6. Uh, you must be born of the Spirit. And then in verse 7, you must be born again. It's not negotiable. You must be born again. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to have a relationship with God, if you're going to go to heaven... You must be born again. What does that mean? Well, let's look at our bulletin today. There are three uh, questions that I want to answer with you about this uh, idea of re regeneration, which this is another way of saying being born again. Uh, first of all, what is regeneration? We'll see that in verses 1 to 3. Uh, and then how does regeneration work in verses 4 to 15? And then where does regeneration lead in verses 16 to 21? So uh, what is it? How does it work? And where does it lead? Uh, first of all, let's look at what it is. In verses 1 to 3, we have a, a very big contrast. This, this whole passage really is about contrasts. And in verses 1 and 3, the contrast is between Nicodemus, who he is as he's described here, and the way Jesus chooses to talk to him. 
The two things don't seem to to match, if you'll notice in verse 1. Nicodemus is described as a ruler of the Jews. That means he was a very important person. Uh, He was one of only 70 members of the Jewish ruling council, which was called the Sanhedrin. And that they were both the religious and the civil leaders for the people of the Jews. I mean, so he was one of 70 top men in his whole nation. It also describes him there as a Pharisee, which means his reputation must have been squeaky squeaky clean. Excuse me. Squeaky clean. Uh, The Pharisees were arch conservatives, religiously. They believed in every word of the Bible like we do, except they did this. They not only believed in every word of the Bible, Jesus had beef with them. They felt like they needed to add more words to believe to the Bible. Uh, Jesus didn't like that, and in fact, doesn't seem to, to match. If you believe in every word of the Bible, why do you feel like you need to improve it after all? Uh, and yet the Pharisees were always adding more things to do. Usually it was the to-do list that they were obsessed with, and Jesus often criticized them. But it seems like this ruler and this Pharisee was on Jesus' side well, because he comes to Jesus by night in verse 2. Well, why do you think that Nicodemus would want to visit Jesus at nighttime. He didn't want to be seen. That's, that's what, why you do a lot of things at night, right? You don't want to be seen. And so Nicodemus was sneaking his way into Jesus' life because he didn't want his fellow Pharisees and his fellow rulers to know that he had positive interest in Jesus. And we know it's positive because look at how he addresses Jesus in verse 2 again. Or verse 3, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you're a teacher from God. You're not just an ordinary teacher because an ordinary teacher could not do these miracles that you do. I mean, look at it. Nicodemus is an important man. He's from a squeaky clean reputation group of people. And he has an actually positive view of Jesus, unlike most of his peers. And yet notice how Jesus chooses to talk to this man. Jesus cuts his flattery off at the knees. And in verse 3, he looks him in the eye and says solemnly, truly, truly, which is that, that's the double word, amen, amen. A Jewish way of saying, I swear to you, Nicodemus, that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom Now, incidentally, for anybody in here who's not a Christian or you don't know if you're a Christian, you're maybe exploring the Christian faith, this is a great way to know whether you are dealing with the real Jesus or whether you're dabbling in a Jesus on your own terms. This is a great way to know. Uh, If you're just dabbling with Jesus on your own terms, which is very common, by the way, lots of people do it, they're just dabbling in Jesus, that Jesus will never look you in the eye and tell you anything you didn't already want to hear. He actually will be just a mirror image of yourself because you're coming to Jesus just to have yourself affirmed. And so you'll get that. You'll, you'll look at him and he'll smile at you with a sweet, you know, sugary smile and tell you everything smooth that you wished. But if you have the real Jesus on the other, other end of the line, here's how you know it. He begins to put his finger on places in your life you did not bargain for. He begins to tell you things you did not necessarily come to him to hear, 
Because he's not telling you your terms, he's telling you his terms. Nicodemus has the real Jesus on the other end of the line. And this Jesus is tugging and fighting and beginning to to help Nicodemus understand that, yes, even he, religious man, extraordinaire, leader, VIP, even he needs to be born all over again. He needs his old life done away with. Because in God's sight, it's as if it's worthless. And he needs a new life given by God put in its place. Now, I think it's so cool that this idea of being born again is told in this conversation with this man. I mean, had this come, for example, in the conversation with the woman at the well or with a, one of the prostitutes, for example, that Jesus showed mercy to or, or one of the tax, collecting, tax collectors, we would read it and we would walk away thinking, well, yeah, yeah of course, that, that person needs to be born again. Prostitute? Yeah, prostitute needs to be born again. Tax collector? Oh, yeah, they need to be born again. Violent person? Oh, yeah, they need second birth. But instead, it comes in a conversation with a man who seems to have his life together. He is the model citizen. Admired, praised, looked up to. And Jesus tells him he's got to be born again. It's a little bit like when you're nervous about taking a test in school and you have it second period and one of your friends who's like really smart has it first period and you rush up to him after class and say, hey, how was it? How hard is it? How does it make you feel if that smart person says, it was hard. I failed. It was hard. How does that feel? Oh, if she didn't pass it, I'm dead meat. And so Jesus is giving us this grace, you know, this this wonderful uh, privilege of seeing him talk to the top of the class and to tell this man, top of his class, you can not please God on your own, Nicodemus. You cannot come to God. In fact, he says you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even understand God unless there is regeneration. Now that word again, I want you to highlight that word again, born again. And I want to give you some thoughts about that because it helps you understand what being born again means. I think everybody knows what the word born means. Of course, that's that's easy. We know what it is to be born. But what does it mean to be born again? Well, the word there is actually a word with a double meaning. Uh, It would be really vividly translated in English if Jesus said, unless one is born from the top. Think about that phrase, from the top. You know, we, we can use it in two ways. We might say, start it from the top. What do we mean by that? Back to the beginning, all over again. Wherever you are, stop it and go all the way back. But we could also mean from the top as in what? You're higher and you are sending something down. I'm throwing down a tool from the top down to the bottom so that you can have it. From above, down below. From the ladder, down to the ground. Well, the word again in Greek is exactly like that. It's a word that means on the one hand, again, like repeat, 
But it's a word that also means from above, coming down from somewhere else. And so if you understand that word, you can understand what regeneration is. It's a whole new start. It means that your old way of life has to be put to an end, so so to speak. It has to be ended. The, The chapter has to be closed, and a whole new life has to be put in its place. But that that new life that needs to be put in its place cannot be produced from below. It's not a life that you can produce in yourself or that I can produce in myself. It must come to us from God above, placed in our hearts from heaven. And so it's a miracle on two counts. It's a miracle for two reasons. It's a miracle because, one, it's a radical life change. And it's a miracle, too, because it's a change that you can't do for yourself. Jesus says to him and to us, which, by the way, it's not just Nicodemus, because later when he says, you must be born again, the you is plural. Y'all must be born again. That means every single human being stands in need of a new birth. That need can only be met by God. That need cannot be earned. That mean cannot. That uh, need cannot be deserved. Christianity is not about being good and doing good. Although, of course, I believe you should do good and be good. We, we should all. Jesus is working on us to do that. But that's not the only thing it's about. Christianity is a supernatural religion. This morning, if we're just a bunch of people meeting together to learn how to be good, that's depressing. I mean, we can't solve the problems of this world. Think about it. If you can't even solve the problem in your own heart, how are you going to solve the problems of wars and violence and poverty? And eh, no way. And so God says, my faith is a supernatural faith, a doctrinal faith, if you will. In other words, it has something for you to believe in, not just to do, but to believe in. And the thing that you're to believe in is that God is able to change your life from the inside out, but only God's able to do it. And being a Christian begins there. You are born the moment you first believe with a birth that comes from above rather than from below. That's the first thing. Let's look at the second thing now. How does regeneration work? And you can see this in verses 4 through 15. Nicodemus asks two questions in in follow-up from what Jesus said, and both of them begin with the word how. In verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? The question there is, how can a man, how is it possible for a man to do what you're saying, Jesus? If you're telling me I have to be born again, how can I be born again myself? And of course, you know, he takes a very weirdly literal uh, reading of Jesus. Uh, We must acknowledge that. And, And frankly, a little awkward. Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus is like, okay, weirdly literal Nicodemus, I'll answer your question. But then I want you to notice, after he answers his question, again in verse 9, he goes back to a similar question, how? 
It's like Jesus' answer is not enough for him. He first asks, how can a man do this? And then when Jesus says a man can't, he goes back and says, well, how can even God do this? How can these things be? Meaning, how is this even a possibility for a person to be born again? What Nicodemus is lacking here is the wonderment of God's work in the human heart to make them new creatures. Think about it. There's almost nothing more full of wonder than childbirth. Right? Many of us have experienced it firsthand. Um, Stacy experienced it differently than I did, <laughs> by far. But we both together experienced it from different angles, and both of us were in awe. And I'm sure you were too if you've ever experienced it. It makes you feel so small. It also makes you feel so helpless. Uh, it makes you feel um, full of, of, of mystery in a way. Because, I mean, how, how in the world did new life come from us? It leaves you with so many questions, doesn't it? And just to sit there, all you can really do is say, wow. Well, if the new birth is another kind of birth like that kind of birth, and if the first kind of birth, which is physical, fills you with wonder, shouldn't the second kind of birth, which is more profound than that, fill you with even more wonder? And that's what Nicodemus is missing. He's missing the wonder. Sometimes we do. We we want to always follow up with God. How, 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 why, why, why? Uh, we are not that much different than our toddlers are to us. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How, how, why, why? Don't we do the same thing to God? We have a hard time accepting his mysterious and deep answers. We want more answers. We want answers that fit our, you know, curiosities. And yet Jesus, you know, he satisfies that to some degree by giving answers, but they're answers that are entirely on his terms, and they never take away the wonder. So when Nicodemus says, how can a man be born? Jesus simply says, Nicodemus, a man can't be born. God must make him born. It's the Holy Spirit, Nicodemus. Verse 5, look at what he says. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. And that's the reason why we read Ezekiel 36 earlier in the service, because I believe Jesus is directly referencing Ezekiel 36. Where Ezekiel said, There will come a day when I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be cleansed. Your sins will be washed away. And I will give you my Spirit and you'll become a new person. And Jesus says that what Ezekiel foretold, I am now delivering, I'm now announcing to you, Nicodemus, you must be born of the water sprinkled and the Spirit given. That is not something you can do for yourself. Don't marvel. It's just like the wind, Nicodemus. You can hear the wind blowing, you can see it bending the trees, but you can't explain where it comes from or where it goes or what it even is. It's an unseen reality. And so with the Holy Spirit working his powerful will. Well, then Nicodemus, after he asks, how can God do this? Jesus gets even more pointed with him. Look at verse 10. 
This is pointed. Are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? Uh, Paraphrase. Nicodemus, have you ever read the Old Testament? Have you ever read it? I know you have, but have you listened to it? Uh, Sometimes we have this crazy idea that the Old Testament tells us all this rough stuff that's really hard and cold and, you know, very fleshly, and that the New Testament gives us all this wonderful, nice, cute stuff. That's a very big misunderstanding. It is every bit as much true in the Old Testament that people needed to be born again and that God actually made them born again. After all, we just read Ezekiel from the Old Testament. And so Jesus says, man, you're supposed to be an Old Testament scholar and you never picked up on this? I'm trying as hard as I can try to tell you this in earthly terms, Jesus says. I'm telling you in a way that a human can understand. And here you are asking me for a heavenly explanation, for a God-level explanation. I can't give you that because you wouldn't understand it anyway. I'm giving you the earthly explanation. And that's all you need, Nicodemus. Because no man, verse 13, has ever ascended into heaven and no man needs to to understand salvation or to be saved. Why? Because I have descended from heaven to tell you what I know. And what do I know? I came into the world to give up my life that you might be born again. And so if you'll look at verse 14, Jesus references that great story that Tim talked about with us last week, the story of the snake on a stick. The bronze serpent on the pole that Moses lifted up. Remember the people of Israel were bit by poison snakes as a judgment on their sin and they were dying. And God said to Moses, "Pick up a, make a snake out of bronze and put it on a stick. Make a symbol of the sin. Make a symbol of the curse. Remember the curse was the biting of the snake. Make a symbol of that and stick it up way higher than everybody else so that anybody who looks at it and believes in God will be saved from the snake bite. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, that snake was me. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus is not in the Old Testament or that the Old Testament church was without Jesus. Because according to Jesus, they were not without Jesus. They just had Jesus under symbols and types, like a snake on a stick. You say, well, how in the world is Jesus symbolized by a snake on a stick? I hate snakes. That's the point. At the cross, Jesus became a curse. Jesus became sin in all of its ugliness. When you look at the cross, you're not seeing a cute little precious memories trinket, a cute little gold medallion. When you look at the cross, you are seeing the ugliness and the awfulness of damnation. The damnation of God against sin and against sinners poured out on his son. It's like the snake that bites us, Jesus became. He took all the poison and all the venom into himself, sucking it out of our lives so that our lives could be free from the poison and given the blessing. 
and he drained it dry. And because he did it so fully and completely, he was raised through his death. He was raised through his resurrection so that everybody in the world who looks at Jesus and says, that's my Savior, will be saved. Will be born again. Don't you see how kind Jesus is to Nicodemus? Nicodemus asks, how does it work? And Jesus doesn't say, wow, stop asking questions. Even though he probably could have. Instead, he gives him the most beautiful answer. The most soul-satisfying answer, if Nicodemus was willing to accept it. And that leads us to our final thing. What makes someone willing to accept it? What, where does regeneration lead We know how it works. Uh, We know that it works through the Spirit by the death of the Son of God becoming a curse. But where does it lead? And this is where verses 16 to 21 come in, which are, I believe, the most famous words in the Bible. Verse 16, of course. it's, It's everywhere, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, most of the time we take that verse out of context, meaning... We only say that verse and we don't reference anything around it. But I want you to see it this morning in context. It comes in the midst of a conversation with Nicodemus about regeneration. And so what Jesus is teaching in John 3.16 and following is the effect that regeneration is supposed to have on the person who receives it. Let me explain. For God so loved the what? World. Now you got to know what he means by world, okay? He doesn't mean world as in nature, although God does love nature. This is not what this is talking about. World here means the sinful, rebellious, fallen world that hates God. God loved that world. Those people, people like us, who were in rebellion to him. In fact, John in his letter says to Christians, do not love the world. Don't love it. There he's warning us about loving the world in a way that approves of it. Loving the world in a way that wants to join it and participate participate in it. Here, God's kind of love for the world is of a whole different kind. This is not a love of joining it or approving of it, but a love of redeeming it, a love of rescuing it. And he was so invested in rescuing it that he sent his only begotten son. The eternal son of God was exchanged for a hateful, bitter, spiteful world. So that anyone who merely believes in Jesus out of that world would become saved forever. Now think about it for a moment. Jesus' work in this world when he came was not to condemn the world. He didn't come to tell everybody, it's over for you, there is no hope, you're all going into judgment. Instead, he came to deliver people out through his cross. If that's true, think about it. Who in their right mind would refuse Jesus? Now, that's Jesus' point with John 3.16. If the world, the ugly world, was exchanged for the only begotten beloved son, and that beloved son made it 
uh, possible for sinners to be saved? Who is going to walk away from that and say, no thanks? Mystery of mysteries. The answer is every single person who hears it at first says, no thanks. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Jesus came to an already condemned world to rescue people out of it. Were we to stay in our sins, were God not to make us born again, we would remain there and we would always reject the good message of love that is found in the gospel. It's a mystery, but Jesus goes on to explain it. He says, look, the light has come into the world, verse 19, and people love dark rather than light. Why would you love dark rather than light? Oh, Jesus says, because you want to hide. You want to hide all your bad deeds. Whoever does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We don't want exposure. We want hiding. And so we don't come to the gospel. We don't want Jesus. We don't want him to fix our lives because then he would tell us to do things we don't want to do. But notice verse 21. But whoever does what is true. Notice. Not whoever does a bunch of good things to work off his sins. That's not what it says. It says whoever does what is true, meaning whoever responds to the truth. Whoever believes the gospel, the good news of Jesus, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that the works he has, has done have been carried out in God. What Jesus is doing in these verses is he's giving Nicodemus a test, and he's giving us a test. Do you want to know if you're born again? Because you have to be born again to go to heaven. You have to be born again to be saved. How do you know? Here's how you know. Those who are not born again still want to stay in the dark. They don't want to be honest about their sins. They don't want to admit that they need a Savior. They don't want to be exposed to God or to other people. Those who are not born again still want to rely on their own deeds. They just want those deeds to stay hidden. They want to hide them, but they live by works. They live by self-righteousness. Those who uh, are not yet born again want the glory for themselves. They don't want to come to the light so that God could be glorified. Instead, they want their lives to belong to them. But here's the test. Those who have been born again do the opposite of all those things. Those who've been born again learn how to confess their sinful deeds, to be honest, to come into the light, to embrace the truth rather than the lies of our own making, and to seek the glory of God, as he says there at the very end of verse 21. They want to come to the light, not so that it would be clearly seen that they are awesome, did you see that? It doesn't say everybody who's born again comes to the light so that it may be seen they are holier than thou. It doesn't say that. 
It says, so that it may be seen that their works have been carried out in God, that God might get the credit. That is the sign of a new birth. Go back to that wonderful time. If you've ever experienced childbirth, go back to that time in your mind. When the baby was born and you're sitting there in awe, flabbergasted at what you've just experienced, what is the first thing that all the nurses and doctors begin to do? Cut the cord, clean the baby, slap the baby. (laughs) Uh, Baby cries, uh, measure the baby, check its breathing, check its pulse. They begin to do the basic things to test whether the birth has led to healthy life. And if you'll look at these verses and consider them this morning, this John 3, 16 to 21, it gives you a guide for how to check your own life as to whether or not you've been born again from above. Do you love the light? Do you want to rest in Christ alone as your Savior rather than your own deeds? Do you want God to ultimately get the glory for your life rather than yourself? That's like the baby cry, the newborn baby, the pulse of a newborn child born again of the Spirit. Y'all, if, if Jesus could say this to Nicodemus, if Nicodemus needed it, we all need it. Amen? Amen.